This morning I'm going to give attention to a story from the Gospel of Luke. And this is a, a two-part story. Well, it's a one-part story, but it's a two-sermon story. So you get part one today, you get part two uh, next Sunday. This is Luke 4. I'm starting in verse 14. Uh, and as this is the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I invite you to stand for the reading. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. I'm guessing it was not an online service, but in any event. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and re recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. According to Luke's chronology, Jesus has just had this amazing experience in the desert. 40 days worth of amazing experience. And we will talk a bit more about that event a little later. Afterwards, after he's led from the desert, he works his way through Israel, speaking of the kingdom and working signs and miracles to prove the truth of his words. I don't know if you have ever come back home after being away for a bit of time. Uh, most kids who go away to college experience a little bit of this. You left home a high school senior. Who knows what kinds of conflict or tension existed between you and your parents when you left. The very fact that you are roughly 18 years of age means you're straining to find your own independence and in most cases that causes some measure of strain in the home. In any event, Maybe at Thanksgiving, maybe at Christmas, you head back home for the first time since you left for school. Or, or maybe this is your first trip back home after basic training. You know, you've been away 10 weeks, uh, you finish your advanced individual training, your AIT, uh, probably a minimum of a number of six weeks more. So it's been at least 16 weeks since you were home. You feel different, so much has changed, and you wonder how you will be received when you get back home. Will people treat me differently? Will people notice anything different about me? 
What, what expectations might these individuals have about the reception they will receive after being away for a while and having experienced change? Well, since Jesus left home, he's been through some things. He has started something. Is he different? Well, probably in some ways. I mean, testing does that to us, doesn't it? It, it, it solidifies our convictions. It, it, it makes us stronger, hopefully. And Jesus has just been through one of the more significant tests of his life, these, these 40 days in the desert, where he was, if you look at that passage, it wasn't just those last three tests at the end. He was tested continually through all 40 days. We just have the record of the final three. He was tested for all this period of time. And when he gets into town, back into Nazareth, he goes to church with his family after a fashion. It's the custom, we're told. And then Jesus stands up to read at some point in the service. Whether he had been invited to read or not, we don't know. He may have just simply stood as a volunteer to read. Um, it was the custom in that day for visiting rabbis to be invited to read from the scroll, but Jesus wasn't trained as a rabbi. And so you wonder, um, he's standing. Um, well, his reputation did precede him, we were told in the passage. So the people in the area had heard something, something was up with this Jesus character. And so he stands and he reads. He reads from the scroll he's handed. He's handed the scroll of Isaiah. And then after he reads, as was the custom of the day, he sits down to teach based on what has just been read. He's been handed the scroll, and we don't know whether the scroll was the ritual scroll that was prescribed for that day and that this passage was the ritual passage to be read or if Jesus selected this one outside of their custom. We don't know that. All we know is that Jesus unrolled it to this passage and Jesus read this passage. Isaiah 61. I don't know if you've ever been present at an earth-shaking moment or event. Small talk asks these kinds of questions all the time. I mean, I have a distinct memory of the assassination of JFK and a clearer memory of the assassinations of RFK and MLK. I remember watching one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind back in 1969. I know where I was on 9-11. Um, closer to the current day, I remember where I was when I got the news that the world was likely shutting down in response to a particular virus. These are great events. These are life-changing events. And you need to understand that when, that when Jesus says what he's about to say, this proclamation in a synagogue 
in Nazareth is every bit as earth-shaking as of anything I've mentioned. Every bit as profound, every bit as staggering, every bit as unexpected. This is one of those amazing moments. When you think about it, this is Jesus going back to his hometown and making a pronouncement. If you're old enough, it's sort of like Ted Kennedy going to Faneuil Hall saying he's running for president. It's different in that Ted Kennedy never becomes president, right? The announcement that Jesus is making is something he will actually do. And what he proclaims on this day is eternal truth for everyone who has ears to hear it. What did he read? Well, he was reading Isaiah. It's part of the suffering servant songs. The prophet Isaiah is talking about the nature, the character, the actions of the Messiah when he comes. You've heard the passage that Jesus read that day many, many times. It's so central to who we are as the Church of Jesus Christ that we keep coming back to it again and again. Um, it's so significant for us that the words from Isaiah 61, some fashion of it, has been our church theme verse for at last three of the last 10 or 11 years that I've been here. I mean, it's, it's something we keep coming back to here. You will remember these words and these phrases from the reading. The Spirit has anointed me to preach good news to the oppressed, to bind the brokenhearted, liberty to the captives, release to prisoners, rebuild the ancient ruins, oaks of righteousness, a planting for the display of the glory of the Lord. This is Isaiah 61, the passage that Jesus reads to them to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, well, that phrase in itself amounts to proclaiming that the year of Jubilee has arrived. You remember the year of Jubilee from the Old Testament, right? You have seven times seven years, and then you have this special year, comes roughly once every 50 years, and in that year, the debts are forgiven. The property lines redrawn. Slaves are free. Once every 50 years or so, everything in Israel is set back to its default settings and everybody gets a do-over. Everybody gets a mulligan. Everything starts free and clear again. And the burdens and the debts and the slavery and all those things just is wiped away by the mercy and grace of God. Jesus pronounces the year of the Lord's favor. Jubilee has arrived. We don't really have any substantial record that Israel itself ever actually had a year of Jubilee. I mean, it came in the calendar, supposed to be this one, but is God really that merciful that he really wants us to cancel all these debts? I mean, we're, we're too good at keeping records of wrongs and of debts and of indebtedness and of grudges. And, and, and we humans, Jubilee, even the thought of it's a little bit offensive to us because we have stuff coming to us. 
And we've been keeping a record of it. And this idea that God would just wipe the whole slate clean for all of us, little too progressive for us. But this is the example, the written description of the mercy and grace of God for us. And after saying all those things, the bombshell, Jesus says, today, now, at this very moment, at ground zero, this prophecy, all that you have just heard, this is fulfilled. Whoo! I mean, you talk about prophecy, it's sort of nebulous. How do, you, how do you apply it? Does it mean this? Does it mean that? All the questions are resolved. Jesus is saying definitively for now and all time. This prophecy of the coming of the Messiah is filled, and the implication is in him. He is Messiah. If you ever hear people say things, ridiculous things like, well, Jesus never proclaimed to be like the Messiah. Fooey. He did it right here. This is where, this is where it's, it's done. He says, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. Messiah is here. Messiah is me. Earth-shaking words. That the fulfillment of of all that was said is, is here. Now, next Sunday, we'll talk a little bit about how those words struck the people who were present. But it would be a big problem if we didn't understand all that Jesus was saying. Because really, everything in human history switches at this point. Commentators observe that this is likely the last time that Jesus visits Nazareth. Jesus arrived in Nazareth after his sojourn in Egypt. We remember those days. He grew up in this town. He had friends here. He was known here. But now there's something new, something different. It is so hard for us to understand the expansiveness, the majesty, the breadth of what it means to be in the presence of Messiah. I, I, can't, I can't begin to articulate uh, that to you. I don't know how to do that. Some years ago, I got an invitation to have dinner with the Prime Minister of the nation of the Cape Verde Islands. I was surprised, to be honored, with that kind of an invitation. Um, but he was coming from Cape Verde to Boston, and it was going to be a state dinner, and, you know, the... Massachusetts state representatives would be there and the congressmen and all that kind of stuff. I got, I got an invitation to attend that dinner. And I was a little excited about that, a little surprised, a little flattered to get that kind of an invitation. And I went to church that Sunday and I mentioned it to a lady at my church, named, her name's Lesia. Okay, just so you know, for the people here that know Lesia. And uh, I said, Lesia, I got an invitation to go have dinner with the prime minister. She said, oh yeah, I got one too. I said, well, I said, are you going, aren't you excited about that? And she said, ah, no, I had him in Sunday school. He's not all that much. <laughs> I thought to myself, boy, we really have a different perspective on who this, who this individual is, right? You know, we, we just assume they have an office or a title or it, it means something. Friends, we're not going to exhaust the title of Messiah. We're just, we're just not going to get there. It's bigger, it's more than we understand. Messiah is God for us. And God 
is going to be among us. And sometimes our familiarity with sacred things can dull us or desensitize us to the majesty that is present in them. Our familiarity with the texts and words of the Bible blunt their sharpness to us. We've heard some of these passages so many times that they lose their power to move us or their power to motivate us or to motivate change in us. But Jesus has just shown up and announced that the year of the Lord's favor has arrived. This is the year that the debts are canceled. This is the year that the slaves go free. This is the year that the property lines and boundaries are erased and reset to their defaults. This is the time for healing and reconciliation. This is the time for drawing all men and women everywhere into the peace and the shalom of God. Here's something we shouldn't forget. In Judaism, the year of Jubilee comes after seven sets of seven years, 49, 50 years later, once every 50 years. And what Jesus is saying, Jubilee is now and always. He's not saying this is a one year every 50 years Jubilee. He's saying, Jubilee is here for us now and always. That the mercy and compassion and grace of God will be, will be expressed now and always. That the shalom, the peace of God is available to his creation now and always. That this is the time to enter the kingdom of God. That's why he says, today this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. Not at some future time. When Jesus is present, the kingdom of God is now present. It has begun. It starts here. The starter's pistol has been fired. The gates are wide open. Anyone who wants to enter the kingdom may enter the kingdom by the mercy and grace of God. It is now always the year of the Lord's favor. That's incredible good news for us, isn't it? Th those of us who have fallen short of the glory of God, those who are clueless, those who have gotten ourselves in the giant messes and can't see any way out, those of us whose debts are so high we can't bear them, those of us who are facing really difficult prognosis from the doctors, I mean, for all of us, the year of the Lord's favor has arrived. Peace with God is possible. The time for restoring relationships, all relationships, is present. He's here today. And the announcement that he made 2,000 years ago that this is the day of the Lord's favor is good right now. You're loved that much by your Heavenly Father. His heart is wide open to you. He wants you in his family. He does. And even though some of us might turn our heads aside and look a little strangely at folks who we're not quite sure belong in the kingdom, 
There's none of that in the face of Jesus. It's a whosoever will may enter. It's for all. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back and we're going to sing a song together that orients this claim of the Messiah. Because Jesus, as you know, is going to go from this point, walk through several more years of ministry and then demonstrate the depth of his love for us by sacrificing himself for us. That's his grand statement of love. That's Jesus saying, I will go to any length possible to restore my children. I will stoop to the lowest level so that all know they're welcome in my family. And so this morning while we're singing this song, um, I would encourage you that if you have never taken the step to enter the kingdom of God, that you consider doing that, that you respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ. It simply means this, Jesus, I want to know who you are and I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. Just like Jesus says to his disciples when he calls them, you know, come and see, come and see. If, if you're willing to just say, I'd like to come and see, who you are, that's the first step into the kingdom. And if you have never resolved to do that, I'd invite you to resolve to do that today while we sing. Okay. Sing this with us, those of you who know the song. I know a place, a wonderful place. Where accused and condemned find mercy and grace. Where the wrongs we have done and the wrongs done to us were nailed there with Yeah.
grateful to live in the year of the Lord's Jubilee. We ask that you would guide us this moment, that we would live as men and women who are accustomed to compassion, who are confident in your grace, who are patient in affliction, who are deeply humble knowing how much we have been gifted by God. And enable us, Lord Jesus, to model all of that to those who are around us, that we might reflect your glory now and always. Help us, Lord, to walk in jubilee. For we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. And now may the Lord bless and keep you. May his face always shine upon you. May he look on you with favor and grant you peace. Amen.